Chapter Four of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in August two thousand twenty one. Chapter Four. After the Sunday visit from the two cowboys, the monotony of ranch life settled down again. Letty found the days very dull. Beverly had to be out on the range most of the waking hours since as he explained to her he looked after his place unaided except for extra help at special times such as round-ups and brandings and the cattle needed to have vigilant care now because the water-holes were drying up and they had to travel farther distances on the range in order to find nourishment to keep them alive the bunch grass and mesquite grass being scant because for so long a time there had been no rain at all in the section. She could see that Beth was worried over the prospects, and gloomy because there was nothing he could actively do to help the situation. If only there was something she could do to help him. She watched him with wistful eyes each morning as he buttoned his heavy coat about his throat, pulled his ear-tabs down over his ears, and started off with a lunch in his overcoat pocket to be eaten on the range wherever he happened to be at noon. He would be gone all day, and Letty's fancy could see him battling with the winds, those enemies never inactive, herding unruly cattle here and there, helping weak, half-starved ones stagger to their feet, all the time shivering in the cold. Beverly, who at home had known a Virginia gentleman's ease and comfort and leisure. And what did he get out of it that compensated him for the change? Though, of course, he had won back his health by the active outdoor life he lived. And the high dry climate, while it may have been hard on herds, was good for lungs. Still, many a time Letty left her unspoken query unanswered even in her own mind. It was not only her concern for Bev that made the hours of his absence seem long and heavy to Letty, for while he was away she was shut up in the house with Cora and the children, with no one to serve as a buffer between her and Cora's personality. The weather was growing steadily colder as January advanced, and the wind became more boisterous and threatening than she would have believed possible when first she came to the west, so much so that she lacked courage even to take a walk outside for fresh air. The children ran in and out of doors all day like hardy little animals and tried to entice her to follow them, but she was not daring enough. The mere thought of venturing out in it made her shiver, as she watched from the window the dead grass bent low in the wind, watched the swirls of sand blown about with purposeless energy that removed it almost as soon as it had deposited it in one spot. She would get through the day somehow by telling herself that soon it would be dark and Beth would come home. She would watch the lazy clock that moved as slowly as a darky snailing on an unwished errand, would long for some way by which she could speed it up and hurry Bev home the faster. When he came, there would be so much for them to talk about, so much of the old life to remember together, that the evening would wipe out the dull drag of the day, she would promise herself. But when he did come, how different it was each time from her dreams. She would begin her carefully planned little talk, would recall Virginia, their family kin back there, the old happy times together, but Cora would spoil it all. Cora showed brusquely and plainly that she resented topics of conversation in which she could not share and glitter, memories from which she was excluded from taking the chief part. Cousin Bev was tired at night, it was true, but the lines would seem to smooth out of his face when he thought of the old life, and his eyes would shine again in the firelight. But Cora wished them to shine only for Texas. "'The quicker you forget about Virginia, the better off you'll be,' she told him one night. "'Those old states are bank numbers. Dead and don't know it. 
Give me a live one, like Texas. Had Cora by any chance ever heard of Miss Rose Douglas? Or did she with her native shrewdness fancy only that there might have been such a one in Virginia? Letty once said to herself rebelliously that Cora was the sort of woman who would, if thinking could poison every other pretty woman, reduce the feminine population by large numbers instantaneously. Cora had no intention of being ignored, even in occasional excursions of conversation. Reminiscence which did not include her was by that fact uninteresting, valueless, and not to be tolerated in her household. She had a personality that was acutely conscious of itself, that never for one moment forgot its ego, and would suffer no one about her to forget it. She had no trace of the considerate self-effacement which makes the friction of daily life less rasping, and which is considered an attribute native to woman. Cora was thoroughly a woman, though with a slashing selfishness by some considered masculine. She didn't mind work. She would cheerfully have performed all the household tasks by herself, and she would have gone hungry to feed her husband or her children or her guests, provided suitable recognition was given that sacrifice. What she was not willing to do without, what she demanded from all under her influence, was a constant awareness, a continual recognition of her personality. She wished everyone to be always aware of her existence, of her sex, of her ideas. She forced herself into the forefront of everyone's thoughts, with her overpowering personality, like a battering ram of beauty and sex and self-assertiveness. It was as if she perpetually beat her breasts and cried out vaingloriously, Here I am! Look at me! Am I not beautiful and clever and alluring? How could one take eyes or thought off of me for an instant? Letty noticed that her attitude was the same whoever was concerned. She commanded and commandeered notice and admiration from the children, or, if not admiration, attention and fear. Fear could serve as a substitute for approval with her, since fear signified real attentiveness. Letty perceived that if ever the children were completely absorbed in their lessons, or listening with ardent eyes to a story she was telling, or relating to her some incident of their play or experience, their mother would inevitably recall them to awareness of herself by some interruption that affected to seem plausible, but didn't really care overmuch about pretense, since authority was not to be questioned long. The child who was guilty of momentarily forgetting its mother's importance would be reminded by some errand that must be instantly attended to, some question that must be answered at length, till the previous attention had been shattered as a bubble, or, if need be, some rebuke that could be as sharp as occasion required. The interruption lasted till the interest was gone. If Letty were telling a fairy story, Cora might look up from her work to say, You boys better get to your arithmetic. I don't want you to stop till you can say the multiplication table backwards as well as forwards, in your sleep if you was called on. And the children, as well as Letty, would be perfectly aware of Cora's sublime indifference concerning such tables. Junior grumbled in answer one day, Ah, oh, shucks, you never do let us alone to have any fun. Cora's rage flared up like fire on tow. Shut your mouth, boy, if you don't want me to slap it shut. You expect me to make all these sacrifices for you to get an education, and then you laze along without studying? Letty asked herself with silent bitterness what sacrifices were meant. Surely no salary was involved? On another occasion, when the children were listening intently to a geography lesson, when Letty was unrolling before their minds a panorama of Africa with its elephants, its jungles, its black men and women, Dan spoke up. I saw a nigger in Fort Worth. 
did you ever oh a great many said letty with a smile virginia is full of them you know the mother spoke up shortly dan didn't i tell you not to leave your playthings round on the floor now you pick them up pronto ah oh, mother let me wait till i hear the end of this lesson the boy pleaded squirming under her belligerent gaze you move when i speak to you young man if you don't i'll wear you to a frazzle and so the geography lesson was suspended for that day it was hard enough for an inexperienced teacher to teach at best and try to round up undisciplined coltish young minds that would rather race off to other pastures but when you had to do your work under the hostile gaze of an eye that was never turned completely away what could you do yet she must do the best she could for her cousin beverley's children one sunday morning when she had been there a couple of weeks beverley said at the breakfast table i have got to go over to see lige and sourdough about some steers shall i hitch up the hack and take all of you over cora's face glowed for an instant at the prospect of a jaunt but promptly clouded with remembrance the baby's got a cold and i can't take her out in this sharp wind then she seemed to consider something silently for a moment and spoke grudgingly after an obvious struggle with her inclination you can take letty and alice if you've a mind to the boys can stay here with me ah oh, mother let us go shrilled the boys no do you want to go and leave your mother here by herself with a sick baby shame on you she cried let me stay with you and let the boys go said letty timidly no they'll stay home with me she ordered lige and sourdough'll be tickled pink to see you so you go letty dreaded the prospect of facing the wind the bitter shouting wind that she could hear all the time and of driving ten miles across the vacant sand to a shack to see two cowboys but go she must it had been nice of cousin bev to think of taking her and it would never do to refuse to follow a plan that cora had decided on so after a while they started off beverley and she and little alice tucked in under a buffalo robe and bundled up with all the heaviest clothes and wraps in a two-seated vehicle with a fringed top which was spoken of as the hack the boys pressed rebellious noses against the window panes to watch them depart it was almost noon-time when they drove up to the ranch which Beverly designated as belonging to Lige and Dave, the Crossbar Ranch. Letty looked at it with amazement. She had thought Bev's place unprepossessing, but this was far more so. There was a surface pond near the house, in a draw or depression, in which the water was low, and on the other side a windbreak, so Bev explained to her, a fence extending for a short distance to break the force of the wind from the north so that the cattle could find shelter in a norther the house was of the rudest structure with no blinds to the windows no paint no slightest concession to looks at all a barbed wire fence enclosed the coral at beverley's shout to announce his arrival the door flew open and the two men came out sourdough called out in delight well dog my cats if here ain't company he swung letty down from the high step leaving lige to look after little alice old pedro said there was some good luck comin because the bulls were bellerin so i thought it might rain but twas something even better to say you was comin old pedro is a mexican that lives in a dugout on our land explained lige to letty he's a great prophesier about weather everything's a sign of rain or a drought or a norther to hear him tell it a wizen-faced brown old man whose countenance had the colour of metal left out in rain and sun till it has a patina over it came forward around the corner of the house yes senorita 
when the bulls cantar that is a sign that we shall have rain he said bowing low when will it be asked letty with a smile for the old man who looked as if he might be an image centuries old dug up from the ground he shrugged his shoulders under his serape quien sabe i hope it's soon said beverly but i'd be more inclined to say those animals were bellowing because they were hungry as they entered the house letty looked about her at the rude interior truly it was like a place where two men kept back alone there was no paper on the walls not even canvas to keep out the wind and sand so that a coat of sand lay over everything with an impartial yellow greyness the front room had in it a ramshackle bed pessimistic discouraged looking half a dozen chairs with rawhide bottoms across one of which lay the navajo blanket that probably served as a spread for the bed a plain pine table and a box partly protruding from under the bed which might contain the wardrobe of the room's owner save for the coat and hat hung on a nail on the door the walls were relieved from their bareness only by a wolf skin and a couple of skunk skins stretched out for display and a couple of crossed rifles while several goat skins and a wild cat skin were on the floor unmistakably a masculine dwelling lige surveyed the room dubiously as if for the first time questioning its adequacy this is my outfit sourdough bunks in the kitchen which is on his land if we'd a knowed we was going to have company we'd a cleaned up rats what's the difference cried his partner jovially it's my turn to cook now if i'd a knowed you was coming i had something fit for you to eat letty put in hastily oh no we wouldn't want you to go to any trouble anything you have will be all right well um on the plains tain't like you could step into a grocery store and tote home anything you wanted we mostly live on sour belly and hominy he means bacon and grits lige translated for letty's benefit sourdough snatched a broom from the corner a broom that had evidently seen hard usage and started toward the kitchen lige put out a muscular arm and clutched him you're not aiming to make such a large red fool of yourself as to sweep now he demanded the lady would likely rather have sand on the floor than stirred up in her victuals sourdough looked humiliated like a vainglorious rooster that has suddenly been doused with dishwater so that his proud comb droops and his feathers fall the measure of his depression was such that for the time he was silent he stole on tiptoe toward the kitchen his attitude and bearing showing that he feared lest sound as well as movement might stir up objectionable sand for the lady letty could hear him moving with loud stealth around the next room the kitchen that was also his living quarters a chair crashed to the floor a dish broke a skillet clattered on the stove and a rattle of knives and forks on a bare table announced nervous preparations for a meal it was too bad for him to be in there doing it all by himself shouldn't she offer to go and help her eyes indicated such a scheme to lige who by his dissenting brows dissuaded her lige sat with arms folded across his chest and smiled in sardonic enjoyment of the situation it must be uncommon for sourdough to be caught at a disadvantage when he himself recognized or admitted the fact it would serve them all right for the cook to sneak out of the back window and leave them to their hunger but he wasn't doing that for his noise of movements gave evidence of his continued presence and energy presently the red roach of hair was stuck inside the door and sourdough hissed with a malevolent look at his partner chuck's ready bring your chairs as they settled themselves at the table he observed with gloom i hope you've got a gonesome feeling round your waistband cause if you ain't this here fodder won't seem tasty 
I'm hungry enough to swallow my tongue, as the darkies used to say in Virginia, cried Letty gaily. She didn't relish the idea of eating this cowboy cooking, but at least she could be polite about it. Perhaps if she talked enough she could eat less without attracting attention to the fact. Sorry, but you'll have to do your own rachin. We ain't got no waiters, said the host. He pushed a dish of dark brown beans toward Letty. Take some of these Mexican fryjolies. Take plenty. Take them nigh all of them. Letty giggled as she helped herself. He was as amusing as a circus clown. And help yourself to the son of a gun, he went on hospitably, handing her a dish of what appeared to be some sort of stew. What? She faltered, her politeness for the instant forgotten. That's what the cowboys call this stew, Lige hastened to explain. Sourdough snatched the conversation from him. Yes, m'm. It's named that because it's got everything in it. All the innards of the calf. Brains, heart, liver, lights, and so on. Marrow, fat, and all. The concoction did not tempt the visitor, but she took a portion lest she show her distaste. She could keep it well to one side of her plate, where it wouldn't spoil the beans, which seemed safe enough, even if cooked by a cowboy in a sandy kitchen. She recalled an old folk saying, An egg, an apple, and a nut, you may take from any slot. But those safe articles were missing from the menu. There were biscuit, of a leprous complexion and heavy taste, the sourdough bread from which the cook received his name, and seeing and tasting them, Letty felt that one called by such term should resent the insult with deadly weapons. She began to talk in animated fashion, so that her failure to eat might go unnoticed by the cook. The coffee was strong as aqua fortis, mitigated by condensed milk poured drippingly from the tin can. Sourdough made conversation. I understand Lige pretty near missed you the night you came, he observed to Letty. Yes, a gentleman helped me off the train and Mr. Lige was looking for me to be alone. Gentleman's name, demanded Sourdough with facetious but active curiosity. Letty blushed and resented the fact so that she blushed more vividly. Face hurt you? inquired Sourdough solicitously. I see it getting red. No, she snapped, putting her hand to her cheek. His name was Mr. Word Roddy. Do you know him? Yeah, but not much. Lives in Fort Worth. Big rich, I've heard say, but a skirt chaser. Letty flushed again at his crudity. Beverly spoke. He owns a ranch up farther north. I've met him a few times. He said he knew you, she commented in a tone that tried to be casual. She felt again the old disquiet of pulse and spirit that she had known on the train. The mere sound of the man's name, the bare thought of him, shot a strange electric thrill through her veins, fluttered her pulse, gave her a heady discomposure that was half pleasurable, half painful. She saw again the envelope bearing his name that she kept hidden in an old jewel-box where she treasured her few trinkets, at the bottom of her trunk. But she'd never use it, of course. She thought much of Word Roddy during the drive back to the ranch, a drive made in silence for the most part. It wasn't easy to talk when to open the mouth for speech meant that the wind filled it with sand. Sand was an effective discourager of sociability, even though Letty was bitterly resentful of the fact, knowing, as she did, that she would not soon again be likely to have the chance for a long, uninterrupted time alone with Bev. To go back to the house that Cora filled with her dominant presence meant a spiritual smothering, but at that it wasn't so bad as to be literally smothered with sand, as might happen on the plains in the wind. There was nowhere else to go, no friendly neighbour, no second or third cousin or aunt by virtue of a marriage a hundred years ago, 
as would be the case in Virginia. What a country! By the time the ten-mile drive was over, the icy wind and the cutting sand had made Letty grateful for warmth and shelter, even without friendly welcome. To be out of that awful wind even in another woman's house was good. But what a life to look forward to! No companionship save with a silent, harassed man who worked all day long and was exhausted at night, a hostile woman whose antagonism was hard to understand, four restless children that had not known proper discipline, no company to be expected save a couple of rough cowboys whose life was even more restricted, more primitive than that at Cora's house, and no refuge possible in nature. No friendly woods, no quiet valleys of beauty, no healing comfort of still peace and loveliness such as one could find in any walk in the country in Virginia. Outside, nothing but vast, desolate stretches of sand and dead grass, with a few stalks of bare grass with its spears frayed by the wind, stunted mesquite bushes, cactus and prickly pear and a demoniac wind lying in wait to torment its victims, a wind that was as knowing and as cruel as a devil or a maniac. Oh, for the calm and solitude of some still, woodsy nook in the country at home, some spot where she could relax and creep back into her soul's peace and happiness, if only for an hour to look up at benignant trees that had seen generations of human beings pass, and by their silent strength could promise that even poignant griefs would pass in time. But here there were only mesquite bushes, no trees, only dwarfed, stunted shapes that said nature took a delight in cheating man of beauty. In Virginia there were rivers, calm and life-giving in their unhurried flow to the sea, and lakes with water-lilies and alder-fringed banks, and little talkative brooks that gossiped of the winds that blew over them, of the birds that sang and nested, of the squirrels and chipmunks and shy forest things that come near. With a swift, intolerable slab of homesickness, she was aware of all these things by a vision of the heart that was more revealing than physical eyesight could have been. She saw them. She realized them. At home even the weather was kindly in winter, with just enough cold to be bracing, enough snow to furnish sport for the children, and ice for skating on the lakes. While here... Oh, Mr. Word Roddy had been right in what he said. The wind was the worst thing about the life out here on the plains. But winter couldn't last always, and spring would come some day, so that she could go into the open and have a chance to be to herself now and then. To be alone at times was as cruel a need as hunger or thirst, she told herself. She had never known it before. But Letty found, after all, that other visitors did come to the ranch at times. Cowboys on their way to town would stop and have dinner, casually sure of their welcome. Ranch houses were few and far between, so that almost everyone passing stopped to get warm, or chat a while of local affairs, to take a meal or spend the night, and the boundless hospitality of the plains welcomed them all. As Letty listened to the talk of the visitors, she learned more and more of the frontier life and the western character. One Sunday, when Lige and Sourdough were there, the sheriff, Jim Hitchcock, and a deputy United States Marshal stopped for dinner. They explained to Bev and the cowboys that they were on the trail of some bandits that had held up a train a few days before and managed to get away. Don't scare the visitin' lady with talk o' your violent deeds, drawled Sourdough rebukingly. She ain't used to our rough western ways yet, and she might think we was harsh out here. The sheriff spoke up to reassure her. I don't never aim to kill a man, ma'am, if I can arrest him without it. 
I've noticed a fella won't generally shoot as long as he'll talk to you, so I don't show a gun at first. But, ma'am, some of em won't talk to you. He paused. And, and, then you shoot? She faltered. Yes, ma'am. If I go out to get a man, I generally bring him in, dead or alive. As long as I'm sheriff of this county, I don't humor the criminals none. He twisted his little drooping moustaches and smiled reflectively. Letty shuddered. The deputy marshal laughed. If the criminals knew old Jim as well as I do, they'd know when to look out for lightning, and they could draw first. I've noticed old Jim here, just before he shoots a man, always spits right quick, and then pulls the trigger. The sheriff grew red with embarrassment at having his little mannerisms of killing held up to ridicule. Ah, go long. You're just draw-hiding me. Letty gazed at the mild-mannered, undersized man with a cold fear of the perils he had faced. How did he ever come to be elected sheriff, when he didn't look brave? He looked as if he'd run from a molly cotton-tail, and his voice was deceptively soft and drawling. To think that he had shot men down, even if they were criminals trying to escape. She looked at his brown hands, almost expecting to see bloodstains on them. Do you like being sheriff? she asked him. He shook his head. No, ma'am. When I serve this term of office out, I don't want no more gun-toting jobs. My wife thinks it ain't so healthy, and I tell my boys for them never to be no officers of the peace. It'll sure be hard to fill your place, averred Sourdough. If I was to steal cattle or kill anybody or hold up a train in this county, I'd leave like a bat out of hell before old Jim got wind of it. But that you wouldn't be quick enough, said Lige. Old Jim's got coyote sense and he's got an eye and an ear more than the rest of us, that tell him when a crime's going to be committed, so he's generally on the ground before the six-shooter stops speaking. The sheriff smiled a slow, knowledgeable smile, and said nothing for a moment, and then he cut a look at Lige and his partner. That extra eye of mine tell me some young squirts are studdin' him about getting married. I see you're getting red in the comb sourdough growled an unintelligible expletive and lige reddened distressfully till his sun-browned face became the colour of brick dust and his outstanding ears were scarlet cora cut in vivaciously well you ain't got no objections have you mr sheriff tain't no hanging crime in this country to fall in love and get married is it he lifted a deprecating hand no nothing that i feel any call to arrest them for i think it's high time they was giving thought to the matter folks nowadays is awful late about marrying seems to me twas different in my young days by the time i was old enough to vote i had a boy big enough to get up and build the fire for me in the morning the dialogue gave letty something new to think about until then she had not had an idea that Lige or his partner had been coming to the ranch especially to see her. She had supposed they were like all the other neighborly folk that came by to see Bev and Cora, or just to see any human face, as a relief from the oppressive vacancy of the plains. But now the significant looks that the sheriff and Cora exchanged, the teasing challenge they shot at the three concerned, gave her a sudden light as to what others might be thinking. She blushed in distress at the thought, and then almost laughed aloud at the absurdity of it. Imagine Sourdough in love with her, or with anybody. How could he put off his clownishness long enough to woo? But what if his very buffoonery were his way of courting? His manner of attracting attention toward himself? His roach of red hair, his tanned face, his swaggering gait were the opposite of romance, but maybe he didn't think so. Fancy coming to court in a rattlesnake belt, 
a gay polka-dot shirt and clattering spurs and lige he was less comical than his partner but certainly he wasn't the romantic figure of her dreams she stole a glance at him as she reflected he had more earnestness yes life was not just one guffaw after another with him just one joke following another he didn't care for a continual clatter of tongues but was content to lose himself now and then in the dignity of silence but he was homely with his two prominent ears poor little neglected boy why hadn't someone smoothed them down for him early enough but maybe his pioneer mother had had her tired hands too full of other tasks his mouth was too big and his brown skin made his gray eyes more vivid by contrast he had a good face a face anybody could trust but he wasn't handsome and he never could be letty took a long look at him while he was listening to an anecdote cora was relating when cora spoke everybody had to pay attention to her so that one could look without being seen yes he was homely no doubt about it and he hadn't any education to speak of he was just a cow-puncher and yes he was crude he didn't even speak correctly but he had a kind heart and she must treat him politely so as not to hurt his feelings he was sensitive under his awkward reserve she felt sure not like sourdough with his jovial impudence but sourdough was likable too in his rough way the two men looked so matter-of-fact so engrossed in ranch affairs as the talk went on while she covertly studied them that she told herself she must have been imagining things or cora and the sheriff had been having delusions not she no matter what cora and the sheriff thought these hard-headed hard-handed cattlemen were not giving any thought to romance or to her she could be easy on that score letty's dreams had always been woven round an imagined figure a dark-eyed dark-haired knight of modern days something like beverley had been in his youth when she had known him as a child and miss rose douglas had been in love with him her knight must have dark hair and eyes of course to match her own fairness be chivalrous of speech and courtly of manner a tall man because she was so slight and slender but marriage was a thing far in the future too remote to be visioned even speculatively while no girl ever considers herself too young for romance marriage is quite another matter as the days went by letty found that the complexity of her relations with cora increased rather than decreased Letty told herself that she did honestly try to do her best to get along peaceably, to placate her, to avoid giving offence. But there was an antagonism, which, though she couldn't puzzle out, was very real, and it lay in the background of every moment between the two women. She would ask herself wretchedly if it was because Cora resented the burden of expense in hard times, the cost of feeding an extra member of the household was it that so she would determine to eat as little as possible to lighten the burden but when her appetite which at best was never hearty began to flag in this mysterious fashion beverley would scold her you're not eating enough to keep a hummingbird alive he protested as he helped her plate generously one day Cora spoke up fretfully. Yes, for pity's sake, eat! I hate to see folks mince over their victuals like they was displeased with the grub. Then Letty ate. She would have forced down sawdust under the circumstances. Letty told herself that maybe Cora resented having an outsider always intruding in the family life. Surely that was the reason why she disliked her so she would make excuses to stay as much as possible away from the others but that wasn't easy when there was only one sitting-room and her bedroom or the one she shared with the three children was not heated 
if letty stayed more than a few minutes away in the evening bev would call out to her letty you'll catch cold in that room without any fire come on in here dear bev who was so thoughtful of everybody and cora would shout to her gosh yes don't let's have anybody sick a bed on our hands so letty would creep back to the range of warmth in the sitting-room where seven people sat huddled around one stove with no ventilation in the room and cora talked at bev until he would say he was tired and must get to sleep when the light in the front room was put out letty would creep into bed beside little alice there was no fire in any room except the front room and at meal-times in the kitchen so that there was really no chance at all for privacy no chance ever to steal away to yourself and think your own thoughts and let your mind rest from perpetual tension and restraint in cora's presence she must forever be on guard she didn't know why but life would surely be different when spring came then she could steal out into the open and take walks and relieve cora as well as herself of this perpetual rasping hostility spring would make everything different now she was only a prisoner in the house with the wind outside to lay violent hands on her if she ventured forth and with cora's belligerent personality dominating her every moment inside the walls she told herself in her bewilderment that she didn't know how to meet the situation because it was so different from anything she had ever known or many luxuries in her life but always there had been love and consideration nothing but tender care for her welfare and her wishes even the wishes of a child she had always been just a child to be loved and taken care of and now she was all of a sudden expected to be a woman and to live in the heart-breaking position of an unwanted and resented member of another woman's home she would ask herself wretchedly over and over again why why didn't cora like her cora was hospitable to everyone else no passer-by but could be sure of a hearty welcome a pressing invitation to eat a meal or spend the night in her home night after night as she lay awake hearing the far-off howl of the coyotes that always sent a shiver of fear down her spine and chill with the wild instinctive terror that the sound of the high wind at night always brought to her letty would ask herself what was the way out the problem seemed always more acute more unanswerable in the dark when the wind and the coyotes were trying to howl each other down even than it did in the day when cora's hard egoism crowded her out letty was a helpless young girl that had always been treated as a child she had never been given responsibility nor been expected to make decisions for herself so that she felt bewilderingly weak and impotent what could she do she couldn't go back to virginia for there was no near relative to take her in it would be asking charity to write to some old friend and beg to be given shelter and food her family pride revolted from the thought the men of her family had always taken care of the women and so it had seemed the natural thing to turn to cousin bev when her mother was dead of course she hadn't known cousin bev's wife then and the pastor hadn't reckoned with cora when he had felt so sure that it was the wise and right thing for her to come to texas to live with them should she write the pastor what a mistake she had made if he knew how wretched she was he would send her money for a ticket and tell her to come to his home but he was poor himself and had a house full of children no she couldn't impose on him and besides to let him know would seem to be complaining of cousin bev and that she never could think of no she must wait when spring came surely some way would open 
so she tried to make herself as silent as inconspicuous as possible in the house like a little starved mouse that must not venture into notice but must not attract suspicious glances because of its stillness either the little mouse waited for spring to come but spring was far away and at night the coyotes slunk in packs about the place uttering their querulous quick yelps and the wind wailed like all the horrors she had ever heard or read of a banshee a lost soul a demon lover on sunday lige and his partner came to spend the day at bev's ranch cora was always delighted to see them radiating welcome and good cheer and gay spirits cora loved company when she had an excuse to put on her prettiest dress and arrange her shining hair with artful pains to have the house in spotless order to cook a good dinner that would bring praise from all who partook of it cora was perfectly happy on a sunday when men visitors came in to spend the day she would dominate the conversation as they sat together men women and children grouped about the red stove in the box-like front room cora would be all aglow with animation her cheeks flushed her eyes dancing her wonderful lustrous hair glittering with life and health and joy her hair was so alive that it seemed fairly to send off sparks of life and light sourdough was a good match for her he too was buoyantly alive and in a gale of high spirits with an energy as wild and limitless as the force of the wind on the prairies as if no hint of fear or hardship or suffering had ever touched him letty wondered if by some sort of magic he was not immune to suffering or harm if he were not gifted with some secret that would repel danger or heartbreak as chain armor repels bullets and sends them harmless to the ground this climate that so terrified and dwarfed her spirits and energies must in some way give an intoxicating stimulus and vigor to natures like cora's and sourdough's his jokes were ready his rough wit never flagging his laugh instantaneous at each sally his hostess made and they played up to each other so that their minds seemed complements of each other letty used sometimes to wonder how far cora might have gone if she had had a wider training and culture a broader opportunity so that her native abilities might have developed more with her beauty and her infectious spirits she might have ruled a salon like the women in french history might have shaped the destinies of governments by her shrewdness and her dominance how queer a thing was life that shut this heady creature with her wild rich possibilities up in a little box-house on the prairie on sundays when cora and sourdoughs led the conversation making of it a riotous gaiety the others were content to listen quietly with no desire to interrupt beverly and lige and letty would sit smiling at each other to hear those two rattle on in a companionable silence that left no sense of constraint letty felt less unhappy on sundays than at any other time for then beverly was at home for one thing and more rested so that she could talk to him a little shyly now and then when cora was out of the room cora was always in such a good humor when company came especially lige and his partner that letty could creep out of her cranny of timidity a little and expand without fear of being hurt one sunday when letty had been at the ranch about six weeks though it seemed to her as many years and more the two cowboys came as usual for their weekly visit but this time bearing important news whoopee tai sourdough shouted as they rode up cora poked her head out of the door what's up drought broke no but next best thing 
he came into the house followed closely by lige who was smiling his slow uncomfortable smile there's going to be a rabbit twistin at cy popplewell's two weeks from last friday night a week from next friday we come to let you know everybody invited and nobody slighted sure cried cora her eyes glittering her face glowing with anticipation that's fine what is a rabbit twisting asked letty curiosity getting the mastery over her shyness it must be something pleasant to arouse such enthusiasm in these three lige laughed and as usual acted as interpreter for her it's no cruelty to dumb beasts miss letty that's what we call a dance in this section if you've never been to a cowboy's ball it'll maybe interest you it will be fun am i invited sure everybody's asked everybody and his chillen and his dog will be there sourdough twirled his ten-gallon hat in nervous fingers and looked at letty me and lige here drawed six shooters on each other to find out which one was to ask to take you we decided it was a bad time to kill off either one of us with drought on and all so we settled it different we load the peaceable and fair way would be for one to take you and the other to take you home agreeable to you letty flushed and gave a hesitant look at cora she didn't know what cora would wish her to do and she didn't even know what she herself cared to do these western customs were so new to her her cousin decided the matter instantly sure that's much better in a fight between these two bevel hitch up the hack and take me and the kids so we'll all be there children too asked letty in amazement lige answered comfortably yes m you see so few folks live in this section and so few sociables happen that everybody has to turn out to make the crowd they send men to ride up the county and give everybody an invite all right then i'd hate to be the only person in the county that wasn't there she said shyly sourdough went on to explain the occasion for the festivity the popplewells are so swole with pride now they got their upstairs house finished that they got to give a housewarming the upstairs house queried letty yes m when they first settled here they lived in a half dugout you know half in the ground and half out but they've got two grown gals now on the carpet and two frying size ones coming on so the old man had to build a regular house on the ground they still live in the half dugout too but they call the new part the upstairs house letty laughed as she tried to picture the residence in her mind a half dugout combined with an upstairs house built as a separate edifice <laughs> what a funny country she cried End of chapter four